And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, host of the Tampering Pod, here with usual suspect Anthony Slater coming to us. If you're on YouTube, you can see him with the incredible background from his car on the run. Slater, I'm going to skip over you this week. Hold on. Hold that Please thought. do. Please do. Yes, indeed. Indeed. With good reason. I hope you're parked, by the way. I am um, <laughs> We don't end up having a lot of guests on the show because maybe we're egocentric and like hearing our, ourselves talk too much. We got a good guest this week, Slater. We have the one and only Evan Wash, NBA Executive VP of Basketball Strategy and Analytics. Um, I'm going to refer to him, and I don't think he'll like this, but we'll see if how it lands evan you have like this wizard of oz compare you like vibe with the nba and, and it's not the greatest comp because adam silver is the leader of all things nba but you are the guy behind the scenes who has everything to do with playing tournament schedule in-season tournament which we're in the middle of here in vegas how do you feel about this this label evan and thank you so much for joining us good to be with you guys uh, and, and excited for uh, competition here in vegas I'm not sure because you can see me right now. So that seems <laughs> well, this is the, the big tournament. reveal. This is the big reveal. Uh, I'm out there a lot talking about the tournament. So I'm sure, not sure. Fair. The prize, right. but, but yeah, certainly, um, certainly been a little bit behind the scenes for years, kind of putting, putting the tournament together. Yeah. And I mean, for the casuals, if nothing else, it's, it's, uh, I think fun to have you on where it, it's just the type of stuff where people enjoy the game. They always wonder, why certain decisions uh, get made. I think today we're going to dive in, obviously, specifically on the in-season tournament. Uh, I'm sitting here in Vegas. Uh, Recording-wise, timing-wise, we're a few hours away from the semifinal games. Uh, and we were excited to have you on just to, to answer a bunch of those questions. Um, as a quick aside, because it's Vegas and it's got its own vibe, thank you, Evan, for last night being such a good influence on me as I saw you at the restaurant in MGM Park and maybe had, like, thoughts of staying up too late in my head. I Slater, I see Evan who just happened to be there at the table nearby. And he, he reminds me, Hey, 10 AM comes bright and early, buddy, get some rest. So yeah, I felt like I had my parents back and they were telling me what to do. And it worked. We got some rest. Well, I was still on East coast time. So 10 AM uh, <laughs> for me. Indeed. Indeed. Um, let's start here. Uh, just initial thoughts. It's, it's exciting to, to get you right now because we're in this perfect, you know, kind of spot between, all the in-season tournament games having taken place and then the excitement to come. Um, I'm going to give you this construct. Uh, if you look at three things so far that, that you are ecstatic about over the moon have been a success about the in-season tournament that you, if you go back all those years that you guys talked about this idea and to now see it materialize, uh, what three things come to mind that, that have really landed the way you hoped? I don't know if there are three that necessarily stand out from from all the others. I think the the, the number one thing um, that for us was the biggest unknown going into this uh, was how the players and teams 
would react to this and how they would compete. Because it's been a long time over the years with our teams, our board of governors, our players association, competition committee, um, our network partners, trying to figure out if we were going to do a tournament like this, what is the right structure? How do you incentivize the best competition? Uh, how do you create that intensity? How do you fit it into the schedule? And so we, we sort of threaded the needle and solved a lot of those challenges, but ultimately it was going to come down to whether the, the players and teams competed and competed at a more at a higher level of intensity than than a traditional regular season game and and the resounding answer to that has been yes um both in terms of the actual competition on the floor both quantitative metrics and sort of qualitative assessment would would suggest that those games had a higher intensity certainly the arena atmospheres uh some of the celebrations you saw from teams and players the, the buying into the point differential and then even the way the players talked about it, right, in, in pregame, postgame press conferences, talking about how much this meant to them. Obviously, a lot of them leaned into the financial pricing, but sure. the ability to be in Vegas, compete in this thing, you know, talking about a lot of players said, we're among the most competitive people on the planet. You give us something to chase, we're going to want to chase it. And that was that was kind of the thesis here. And so that's certainly far and away, I think, the number one um, most exciting thing that came out of it. Uh, I think the other the other two, which probably fall kind of on on both sides of the coin in terms of um, things that were exciting to see, but also things that we might look at uh, and and potentially revisit. Um, one was the point differential, and that certainly created interest and intrigue in these games. The first night of the group stage, we had the lowest average score margin of any night of NBA basketball in seven years, where yeah. where there were games or more. So that, that to me suggested, could, could be luck, but also could be that teams obviously were competing at a high level and trying not to fall too far behind in point differential. Um, and then, of course, on the last night of group play on the back end, taking a night of blowout games and turning it into one of the most interesting and, and compelling nights of NBA basketball in November in, in recent memory. And so those things are positive. Obviously, there's there's some counter views on the um the point differential which i'm sure we will get into but sure um, that was great and and then obviously the, the courts you know would be the third one for me that um the objective of the courts originally was actually to educate it was how do we make it clear that these regular season games that are also counting for the tournament are something different and they clearly succeeded at that uh they were they were stark they drew attention they drew buzz and Anyone who tuned into one of those games, attended one of those games, a player taking the floor for one of those games knew something different was taking place. And, and that was really the objective. So those are the three biggest things that I think stood out to me. But obviously, um, just across the board, it's, it's been a great success so far. Yeah, I'd say the like to echo that, not even just like the press conferences, comments, which I'm sure you're kind of referring to, but just like chatting with players in the locker room, like at post game, it was like, I think the general consensus of, oh, this is like more fun than I thought it was going to be. This has worked better than I thought it was going to be just from, you know, random, you know, center on this team, whatever. Um, and then the other thing, I mean, you mentioned point differential. I mean, me and Sam were at the one, the late, late game on the last night with the, you know, the, the Warriors needing to win by 12 to advance. And I remember at halftime, it's like, I've never been doing this in a regular season game. Or it, it almost felt like last day of a regular season where you're trying to figure out what seeding might be. But we're talking, it's like, man, you know, if the Warriors do blow them out, they could get the home game. If they win by 11, they get the regular season win. But, you know, they don't. Or, you know, and Steve Kerr mentioned the idea of, like, what if they're up two? Do they go to OT to try to win later? Um, so I want, I kind of did want to flip it to potential tweaks because it's very clear you guys are, are willing and, and probably going to tweak in some ways. 
you seem to indicate that point differential might be something that, that you look at. Like, where are you at on that in pool play? And maybe what other tweaks around pool play are you thinking about? Point differential is an interesting one because in large part, it accomplished what we wanted it to accomplish, which is to um, differentiate teams that are tied. Typically, it's going to be, you know, three and one because it's it's highly difficult, highly challenging for a two and two team to advance in this format. And obviously, you can't have ties at, at four and oh at least not for, for wildfire purposes. And so we we wanted something that would be the best measure of team performance in these four games, right? Because if you're if you're going to create a tournament that's supposed to sit separate from the regular season, even though these are regular season games, as much as possible, you want to isolate the advancement to team's performance in those games. And the competition committee's view was that the next best measure after your record and after your head-to-head performance the next best measure of your performance in those games was, is your point differential, recognizing there's a lot of variability there. But it creates what is an unusual circumstance for NBA teams. Teams are not used to caring about how much they win or lose by. They're just used to caring about winning. But we borrowed this from international basketball competitions. This is how the Olympics and the FIBA World Cup, the two biggest basketball competitions on earth, um, that's how they, they, they determine group advancement. And so it's a familiar concept to those players who have participated in those. And ultimately, we, as I said, it created great competition, right? It, it created this incentive to keep score margins tight when you were losing. It created incentive for teams to want to expand the, the score margin when they were winning. And it certainly created interest and intrigue on that last night where all those scenarios were at play and you had teams racing each other out. The flip side of it, of course, is the, the so-called sportsmanship or competitive integrity point. You know, players feeling, we heard some players say they felt weird, right? Obviously being start, starter players in games late up 30, we could debate whether teams should be intentionally fouling in those scenarios. Um, but on balance, I still think it offers a lot of benefits. And so while it's something we'll absolutely discuss, uh, I'm not sure it necessarily requires a change. We just want to see what, what the collective, you know, we're going to advance studies, get more player feedback and kind of understand where, where people are. on this. What did you think about the point that uh, Steve Kerr did bring up an interesting where, because, and this is what's different than a lot of the tournaments you're talking about the regular season it matters in the regular season too and these teams care about the standings and there was theoretically a scenario where it would have been you know wise in season tournament competitive wise for them to you know and i'm i'm just using them as an example this could happen for any team and i feel like there's various situations we can't even think about but to you know maybe impact themselves negatively in the regular season to try to advance in the in season tournament like is that some type of like i guess my question would be do you want to continue to tie this to the regular season or separate it? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, we, we talked a lot about this in the planning stages and ultimately what we wanted to do was create something that would be new and different 
but not take away from the existing competitive landscape and the chase for the playoffs and finals and Larry O'Brien. And if you separated this tournament, then you'd have these four games, you'd presumably reduce the regular season game count to 50s in, and you run into some different challenges, right? That when teams then become eliminated from in-season tournament contention, they are playing games that are truly competitively meaningless in November. And, and there was you know, certainly some concern around that, especially as you get to the later stages. Now, now you've got a potentially one team fighting for tournament advancement and another team who's already eliminated. If that game doesn't count for regular season record, you could get some pretty divergent competitive incentives and, and really um, you know, threaten the integrity of, of the actual tournament competition. So that was kind of why we, we double tied them, right? Is that there's always going to be that baseline regular season meeting. And now we're just placing even more elevated importance on them by making them tournament games. That's something we'll talk about. Interestingly, I think in retrospect, the overtime thing, you know, Steve Kerr was talking about might have been a bit of an oversight in, in that um, there are numerous stories in the sporting landscape of when teams do odd things in, in you know, group play type settings uh, where, where point differential or goal differentials on the line. So there's, for example, there's a, an example of a Caribbean soccer tournament in the 90s where a team scored a goal on itself for this exact reason, because they needed to win by a certain number of goals and thought they'd have a better chance of doing that in extra time than they did in the last bit of time remaining regulation. And then the other team seeing that scored on their own goal. And then one team ended up defending both goals in regulation to try to. I'll actually, this is actually a, a good example. I, I was sitting next to somebody during the, the Kings game and it, and it was more from the Kings perspective where it was, the, they were down about set warriors were up seven with like, you know, two minutes left. And it was like, you know, it might be why if the Kings just want to advance in the in-season tournament. It might be wise to milk the clock here instead of go try to chase the regular season win. Just try to get the loss by like eight. Now, they ended up chasing down the win and getting both. But it was just kind of an interesting like, yeah, you're, you're right. You know, like if there's sure, 20 seconds I, yeah. left. You, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't I, I think because they're regular season wins and because teams, you know, especially a team in a you know tight tight race like presumably the Western Conference will be. I think you're never going to see teams punting wins. I would I would I wouldn't expect or punting the chance at wins. But I do think there's some tweaks. For example, you know from a point differential perspective, if we keep that, we could also say in the future overtime point differential is not going to count for this, right? So that a team never has an incentive to send a game to overtime just to try to bring up a score margin. Um, so that that could be a tweak that we would look at for example. Evan, I want to hit the rewind button just a little bit for context and ask you about the, I guess, the origin story. Uh, you know, I wrote a, a little bit about it the other day, uh, and I'm not necessarily looking to go through the timeline of competition committee in 2014 when you jump to the basketball side, but more so, how did you guys analyze the uh, the November-December portion of the schedule within the past couple of years in terms of it? Certainly, you know, the, the impetus here is livening up a part of the schedule that was not what you wanted it to be. And, you know, I know this is things in relative terms, but how quote unquote bad was that stretch when you talk about the business goals, business incentives, engagement from fans, focus of players, we all know that there's this connective tissue, or at least it's, you know, certainly seems between the player participation policy, um, the in-season tournament and the general theme of this year being, Hey guys, first half of the year, we're going to ball out. We're going to compete. We're going to give the fans a really good product uh, and not just have the marathon approach as you march toward the playoffs for six months. Um, what was the analysis on that, uh, that part of the schedule? So uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, um, you know, there's, there's the old um, 
saying or, or fan perception that the NBA season doesn't start until Christmas. Right. The reality is, if you look at, for example, our average national television viewership in November, it is almost exactly the same as our average national television viewership in March. So from an actual fan engagement standpoint, it's not that different. And in fact, there is quite a lot of engagement this time of year. What we were trying to do when we picked where this tournament would sit would, would basically was basically to see where it fit in best in the overall arc of competition. And so one of the things that was really important to teams and players was that if we're going to add this, it can't take away from the ultimate goal, which is the chase for the Larry O'Brien. And so it can't distract teams from the chase for the playoffs and play in and ultimately the finals. And so when we had talked about things like, well, what if this was in January, February, and March, by that point in the year, teams are looking at the standings and seeing where they are, seeing how, you know, how many wins they might need to move up. That's not the case in November, right? It's, it's team's not going to look at their record 10 games in and say, oh, I'm in 11th place. I need, I need to move up the standings, right? You got 72 games left. So, so this just seemed like a, a better place from a competitive standpoint. And then the second part was, even though the, the viewership is really strong at this point of the year and, and you know, attendance, all those things are, are, are very solid. If you look at the NBA season as a kind of series of tent poles, right? You've got opening week, Christmas Day, MLK, you know, trade deadline, all-star, and then leading into race for the playoffs, play in playoffs and finals. By far the biggest gap between any of those two tent poles, at least under the current format, was opening week to Christmas, right? You've got that two-month window where essentially it's it's just that you know, that uh, series slate of regular season games, right? And all those other things sort of then happen rapidly after that. And so our view was that if you want to create a new temple, create a new peak in the season, a new climax, something to celebrate, something to lift, that that was the best win. This is this is the best window to do it because you've got this big gap between opening week and Christmas. Within that real quick follow here, um, you talked to Howard Beck from The Ringer the other day, our, our mutual buddy, and um, he had some interesting context about surveys that you guys had conducted throughout the years in terms of fan support. And that it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but at minimum, you were always getting at least 50% feedback from fans that they would want something like an in-season tournament. And at peak in the mid seventies, uh, you know, it, I find that interesting because I don't traffic in the business marketing side that much in terms of the way decisions get made and why, uh, what, what sort of impact does something like that have on the thought process? A lot. I mean, I, I think there, there's there's an. It's easy to say that there have been a lot of skeptics and critics of of concepts like this, and I think part of that is because one, skeptics and critics are often louder than proponents of things. Sure. In the first instance, and, and certainly that gets you know more airtime, more attention. And two is um, those who are supporters of of these concepts are, are not necessarily pounding the table for them, right? There's a, a clearly a view among our fans that. NBA competition is really good, right? We have a we have a great product. We have incredible players, incredible teams, great competition throughout the year. This is not a knock on our regular season. And so you're not going to get, you know, fans necessarily pounding the table to add the tournament, but fans love competition of consequence, right? When there is a, a heightened intensity, something on the line, something to celebrate, something to chase, something to talk about. And so that's what we're seeing, right, with this tournament is exactly what the fans told us we would see, which is that heightened competition and generating more interest. And so when you ask them about that prior, they're going to say, yeah, I would love to see a single elimination knockout round competition in December, because that seems better than the regular season, even though the regular season is still good. And so that that sort of gave us confidence that 
when you bring single elimination competition and you bring that group play competition into a season, there's really only upside there. And all of our fan data was telling us that that there would be buy-in from the fan side. Again, assuming that players and teams were bought in because everything flows down from that. It's got to it's got to look and feel different, and that's where it falls on the players and teams. And they certainly accomplished that. Yeah, I mean, it was clearly kind of a very detailed, uh, I guess, planning. I mean, I, I even look at the games being on Tuesdays and Fridays during football season, which is probably the emptiest part of the football calendar. The fact that the championship is this Saturday, this is like college football has run out of schedule basically at this point, and the NFL hasn't kind of you know taken over Saturdays yet. I, but I did, you know, as as we talk more about potential tweaks, I'm wondering where you sit on like pool play. The fact that there were, you know, did you? Do you like the whole six groups, you know, five teams in each group? Uh, do, will the pool teams, will they remain in the same pools? Or it sounds like it'll probably be still standings related, I know, to try to make it kind of like even pools. Will there be maybe more pool games? Do you like eight teams advancing? Could that increase, decrease? Like, where are you at on all that? Lots of back there, so, so I'll try to hit them quickly. Uh, it is no accident that the championship is this Saturday, December 9th. Uh, you're correct. It is the only Saturday uh, from September to January that does not have college football or NFL. Uh, so, so that is why we selected it. Um, as far as the number of games in pool play, we had group play, we had talked about eight at one point um, and ultimately settled on four because teams and, and players had a fair view that they didn't want to front load too many of their matchups against the same teams early in the year. Uh, I happen to think that four worked out really, really well because it, it it drove that urgency and that excitement around each game meaning so much. And I think even next year, you'd see that more because teams really understand now, well, you, you almost definitely can't lose two and even losing one puts you in a tough spot. You wouldn't have that same urgency with eight. Uh, in terms of how we form the groups, the, yeah, the default would be to do, again, another random drawing based on this year's standings to create those, you know, that intrigue and have that exciting drawing zone show next summer. Uh, there was some push to do divisions for that, but, you know, from a competitive balance standpoint, that's a little less desirable because those are geographically based and you do have some divisions with a number of very strong teams and only one or at most two teams could advance. Um, uh, the number of teams advancing to knockout, you know, eight feels right if you're trying to create a pure bracket, right? I think, you know, 16 out of 30 advancing would probably be a bit much Four feels a little too low. You could potentially have buys and things like that to go up or down slightly. So these are all things we plan to talk about in some deep postmortems with, you know, with players, teams, fans, um, network partners understand kind of what worked, what didn't. But ultimately, we're going to try to have to focus a little bit because there's so many elements to talk about here. Um, we want to make sure we kind of get to the hardest hitting ones. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Evan, as we uh, keep peppering you with questions here about what might change, and thank you for indulging us, um, because we're sitting here talking on the Thursday, I, I, I'm very curious to ask you specifically about this first game in the semifinals and the choice to have a, a 2 p.m. Pacific semifinal game that, you know, and I'm certainly not a ratings expert, um, but it seems like ratings might be tough this afternoon. And then from a crowd standpoint, you wind up with a Bucks pacers matchup where chances are the idea of, of folks flying in uh, from Indy and Milwaukee is going to be pretty challenging. Um, it feels like that was another move that might have been impacted by the NFL schedule. I know it's not a, a great game tonight, but the Amazon game on, on Thursday nights is going to, draw a lot of eyeballs um that specific choice how did you uh land there yes yeah, so it, it actually was the, it was not impacted by the nfl um okay what what we were trying to do today was was balance a bunch of things balance um the ability for fans to come see these games and when we say fans for that we're thinking of the fans for the teams playing who who maybe want to travel into vegas make a weekend out of this local fans in vegas who have a chance to go um and then national and international NBA fans who who don't get a chance to see this intense high-level NBA basketball in Vegas, right? We obviously have had a tremendous history of basketball in Vegas from summer league to USA basketball to WNBA with the Aces to uh, an all-star game here, you, you know, you name it, but, but there's never been an NBA championship of any kind played in Vegas or certainly not even regular season games. And so that was a unique opportunity that we thought would draw fans in. And so that was the intent of the, of the games in Vegas. And that led us to wanting to make the semifinals two separate tickets. Um, because, you know, while we could do a sort of final forward notion of a single ticket, two straight games, we thought we could bring more fans in, give more fans the opportunity to see the games by separating those East semi and West semi tickets. And once you do that, you need a minimum of 90 minutes between um, the end of one game and the start of the next, because we're playing in the same arena. And so that forces you to spread the tip times apart by four hours. And then we, the, the second game, we didn't want to be too late on the East Coast to make sure that viewers could still watch that game. So once we locked that game in as a 9 p.m. Eastern, which is 6 p.m. local here in Vegas, that necessitated the early game being at 2 p.m. local, which we understand is a little bit more of a challenge from a viewership perspective. But again, the hope being that between local fans, you know, obviously Vegas is not a traditional nine to five uh, working sure. market. Um, and, and those who are coming into Vegas, you know, to make this a, a weekend experience, that that would still create a, a unique opportunity for, for fans to come see our games. What, was there any there, uh, thought to staggering, uh, just having two night games two days in a row? Sure. Uh, one of the challenges with with this knockout round in general is because teams are only playing two regular season games. Right? In the case of the knockout game teams, uh, the quarters and semis, and in case of the teams that didn't advance, they get at those two regular season games added. To to fit this in, we had to take eight days out of the calendar. So we were dark on the Sunday uh, prior. We'll be dark on this Sunday because obviously teams need a, a day to travel to and from these games. And then we had the two days of quarters, the, the day of semis, the day of finals, or championship. 
every day you add to that mix puts extra pressure on the rest of the schedule because now you're squeezing the other 80 games into a tighter number of days, which creates more density and more back-to-backs. And so we found that this was the most efficient way to get the games in from a scheduling standpoint, but that will be something we look at as well, because obviously it isn't optimal for us from a viewership perspective to go against Monday Night Football with our quarterfinals and Thursday Night Football tonight. So we've kicked around a bunch of different ways to do it. We thought this was the best for the inaugural one, but we might look at some changes there too. It's all interesting. Uh, I'll pepper you with two more quick, uh, you know, before I think we're probably getting you out of here pretty soon, but... um... Is there was there any thought to intermixing East West? I know you can't really do it in pool play, probably just because of travel purposes. But like you know, maybe the the Elite Eight or Final Four, um, just you know, it could theoretically intermix. And then the last thing I wanted to know was, uh, is Vegas kind of like the set location for this, or could it possibly move around? Well, the first question we talked a lot about that one as well. Um, we concluded that as long as quarterfinals are in home markets. Um, we kind of have to keep those within conference. You know, you, you could end up with the, you know, the dreaded Portland, Miami or Boston, uh, LA type quarterfinals where a team is, is flying across the country for one game. And then if it's a West Coast team going East and then we're still going to have a final four in Vegas and they're coming right back West. So there, there could be some significant travel pressures if you if we were to do a quarterfinal cross conference. So we talked more about should the semifinals, right, be able to be cross conference? Should it be, you know, the East one seed against, or, you know, highest East seed against lowest West seed and vice versa? Um, because these are regular season games, teams ultimately felt that it was best to keep that, you know, from a, a scheduling, um, a balanced scheduling standpoint, best to keep those in conference as well. So as not to introduce a, a potential or a guaranteed third match of cross conference. Now I recognize that as part of our added regular season games, we had to create cross conference games, um, because there were an odd number of teams per conference that didn't advance to the tournament. So, you know, we have a Chicago, San Antonio and Detroit Memphis games this week, uh, as a result of that. Um, and so those are third matchups, but, but again, on balance, the competition committee thought it was best to, to keep those a little more balanced by, by keeping the semis in conference. It'll be on the list for, for discussion as well, because, you know, again, we're open to any, any tweaks on all these. And then as far as Vegas, we, we haven't thought past this year, you know, it's obviously in a lot of ways, a perfect place to have this inaugural version. Um, you know, you see my, my virtual background here with the, the glitz and glamour that we're hoping to create with the tournament. And, um, that's certainly Vegas in a nutshell. So. Uh, we thought it was great, but but we you know absolutely are open to alternatives, and, and we'll revisit where future editions might be. All right, Evan, we're going to get you out of here because I'll be honest when you're when you're interviewing a guy who is uh, one of the primary architects of the NBA schedule uh, that is all about not being outside of the the lines. It's a lot of pressure to get you out <laughs> on time, man. I got to ask you though to that point in your non work life. I just want to know, you know, the Google Calendar with with all. Are, do you pay your bills on time? Is everything completely in order uh is that how your brain works in every part of your life i'm actually highly unorganized uh, outside <laughs> of my work life so it's uh it's an interesting um balance for me but but no I, I do not have my i often have to look at my my calendar just to know what i might have any given uh any given day or, or night so um nope got a, got a pretty big separation there all right i'm gonna leave you with this too and i hope uh you don't find the humor a little too a little too uh uh, you know, non-PC, but I'm just glad you're still employed, Evan, because LeBron wanted the guy that had something to do with the play-in tournament to be fired, and and uh, and and a lot of folks had thought about you in that comment, and, and some of these ideas you guys are coming up with landed pretty well. I've said for three years, he, he said whoever came up with that blank should be fired, and that was most certainly not me. It, it long predated me, so I was just uh, carrying that baton at that moment, All right. um, and I was able to dodge that one. Okay. 
good. Glad to hear it. Glad to see you. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we appreciate you and enjoy tonight. I'm sure it's fun to, to see it all come to fruition. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, I right, appreciate it. All right, gentlemen. That was good.